Good morning, Fairhill Church. Good morning. All right. If kids want to head out to the kids' lesson, they can do that right now. Off we go. All right. So we are continuing in our series looking at the foundations of the church. And today we're looking at uh, one of the things that proves to be really crucial as you read the book of Acts. Uh, because people are coming to faith, people are putting their faith in Jesus, and a natural outflow of that is baptism, is baptism. And so we're going to talk about uh, what does baptism mean, what is it all about, what are, we supposed to, um, what are we supposed to get out of it in the long run? And as we talk about these things, uh, we recognize that baptism has been is a huge part in Acts, and it's been a, had a huge role in the life of the church throughout its history. And throughout that history, baptism had a certain power to it. It had a power to encourage, a power to strengthen, a power to, to lift up those who were discouraged, those who were doubting their faith. And I think holistically, that kind of sense of baptism has been lost that we don't see it for its great weight. We, can, we aren't encouraged by it. Um, now, maybe you haven't seen that in, my, in your life. I've seen that in mine. Uh, that kind of hit home for me uh, in a seminary class. All right, so uh, we had counseling classes in seminary. And the counseling classes, what were they there for? They were basically there to shame all of the pastoral students to realize that all we wanted to talk about was theology, and we were terrible at talking to people, and we needed to like totally reset and start from ground, ground zero. All right, that was our encouraging message from our, uh, our counseling professors. And our professor asked this hypothetical question. He said, okay, so if you have someone who's really struggling with their faith, and they're discouraged, and they're not sure if they, they really belong to Christ, what would you do? And he says, you know what, what you would probably all do is, is talk about their baptism. Now, I hear that, and I'm thinking, oh, he's, he's making fun of us as the pastoral students. And so I start laughing. I'm like, ha, ha, yeah, no, we wouldn't do that. Of course we'd know not to talk about baptism. And I'm, I, I didn't, like, chuckle to myself. I, like, full-on laughed out. And the whole room turns to me, and my professor, he looks at me, and he says, someone doesn't have a very high view of baptism. All right, that was the right answer. He was telling us, no, as pastoral students, you know that you're supposed to point them to their baptism. I didn't consider that at all. I thought it was, like a, I thought it was a joke because I just didn't have that category. I thought baptism, at best, was this like public declaration and a public declaration can be faked and can mean nothing, and you could have just said the words, and how is that supposed to help you? But there was this kind of like deep foundation, and there were people who were gathering all this strength and power from baptism. And I think that's what we're trying to get at today. How does baptism encourage us and drive us forward, and how can it be used to, to help us in times of discouragement and, and lack of faith? So with that in mind, that's kind of a lofty goal. We'll probably, we'll get maybe 50% there, hopefully. But uh, we're going to recapture that just a little bit. And so we're going to talk about three things. Uh, what is represented in this sign and seal? Like what, well, what's represented in baptism? Then we're going to talk about sign and seal. 
sign and seal, those are fancy theological terms. We'll, we'll cover what those mean. And then we're going to talk about the cost of baptism and how it gets us to Jesus. Now, with all of this, uh, we're on a little more of a theological side, so we don't have a, a key passage in Acts. We're going to jump around a little bit, um, but bear with me as we go through this. Uh, we don't talk about this enough, mostly because it's hard to talk about. And we're afraid to, to bore, bore you guys, but uh, you need to know this stuff. So let's pray and ask that we would not be bored, but would have willing hearts. <laughs> Father, we thank you for this church. We thank you that we get to come together and praise you and worship you. And Father, we thank you that you work in mysterious ways and you do things that we would never invent for ourselves. And you ask us to, to dive into the depths and to, to comprehend things that um, are in some sense beyond ourselves. And so, Father, we ask that you'd give us uh, an extra measure of grace that Jesus would be with us and Holy Spirit, that you would be shaping our hearts and minds to know and understand these things and um, to apply them. Father, would you help us? Uh, we are weak and we are lowly, and we need your help, we pray in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. All right, so, first of all, uh, if you're going to talk about baptism, you have to recognize uh, this is not a matter of consensus in the church. This is not a matter of consensus, and I say that recognizing that, oh wait, you might have different, there might be different interpretations in the body here, and we can tolerate those. We can deal with it. Uh, if you don't believe exactly what I say this morning, that's okay. I want you to understand it. I want you to see the framework. Um, but this is not something where we have homogenized the church and get in or get out. All right, but so let's, let's talk about the differences here. All right, so we're all working with the same text, and we're all trying to get to the same things, and on a bare-faced reading of Acts, it seems like the pattern is someone is presented with the gospel, they believe in Jesus Christ, and they're baptized. And the natural outflow would say, okay, it seems like that's the logical order. So when do you baptize? When someone has heard the gospel and put their faith in it. That seems to make sense. That's what happens in Acts. And so the, the thought is then, well, okay, then baptism is maybe just, it's this public declaration. It's a way of expressing that you have put your faith in Jesus. And it's proclaiming that to the world. Okay. Now, I think it fits, that, that pattern fits, uh, but uh, could more be going on here? Now, last week we saw Paul. He, he believed and he was baptized. We see other people in the, in the Word in there. The Ethiopian eunuch, Simon the magician, they, they believe and they're baptized. So we can't argue that, that that makes sense on some level. But I think we start to get hints that there's something more and something deeper going on here. So that we start to, to get this picture of not just that it's a public declaration that you put your faith in Jesus, but instead, what if baptism is this inclusion in the family? And that together, everyone who's baptized is, is privileged with the promises that are found in Jesus. And they get to know about the reality of what Jesus has done in a special way. Now, how do we start to get at that? Uh, we're going to start with 1 Corinthians 7, 14. We're going to start with 13 and 14. All right, this seems like a very non sequitur. Uh, I'll explain it. All right. 
If any woman has a husband who is an unbeliever and he consents to live with her, she should not divorce him. All right, there's a different context, different mode, but we have this interesting statement, verse 14. Why should she not leave? For the unbelieving husband is made holy because of her wife, and the unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but as it is, they are holy. All right. That sounds weird to our ears. Because we're saying, okay, uh, a child, they're worried about the holiness of the child and the holiness of the unbelieving spouse. And what they're saying, they're saying that, no, the, the believing spouse, in their belief, kind of like passes on this special nature to the child. And that that child is set apart, is holy, is, is different in some way not because of the child's faith, but because of the parents. And he's making the distinction. No, it doesn't have to be both parents, it can just be one. Okay. We're starting to see this. There might be more going on behind the surface here. Then we look at some other stories of baptism in Acts. All right, we talked about the, we talked about the single guys, okay? Uh, what happens when they get, uh, when they put their faith in Christ? But then you see households. Acts 16 talks about Lydia and her household. Likewise, we see the Philippian jailer and his household. And when one of them, Lydia and this jailer, choose to follow Jesus and are baptized, the whole household together gets baptized with them. So we're seeing that, okay, it's, it seems to have this more communal aspect where one person believes and it, it passes on to the rest. All right, now we're going real deep. All right, everyone put on your, your theological thinking caps. We're talking Romans 4.11. This is talking about Abraham, and it says this. Abraham, he, received the sign of circumcision as a seal of righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. You got all that? All right, I know that's gobbledygook. We're going to explain it. All right, so... There was a sign, circumcision, and it was given to Abraham. And what did it do? It pointed to something else. It pointed to his righteousness by faith. And when did he have righteousness by faith? Long before circumcision. And so he, he put his faith in Jesus. Then he received this sign to confirm it and to show it off. And that's the pattern. Now, what would we say then? We'd say, you know, that looks like kind of like the Baptist understanding. That makes sense. Why don't we just do it that way? Wait for someone to believe, and then you give it to them. All right, but what did God clearly say about this same thing, circumcision? He says, you know, it should be given to every male child who is under this covenant on the eighth day. Now, was it because they had righteousness before they received their circumcision? I don't think so. I don't think these eight-day-year-old kids are professing faith. No, it's saying what? That the promises that belong to Abraham are promises that belong to a people, a group, this collective body, and that these children are receiving this baptism not because they put faith in anything, but because they are privileged to all of those promises. They get to hear about the, the reality of this covenant, and they get to live under it. 
They get to be the people of God. And what the New Testament does, it actually draws parallels between circumcision and baptism. 2 Corinthians 11 and 12, there's, there's parallels here that are drawn out. And we start to see, hey, maybe, maybe it's not about this public declaration. Maybe what baptism is about is about saying you are included under this covenant, under the promises And you have the privilege of knowing what Jesus Christ has done and hearing about him week after week and that you have parents who have faith in Jesus and can share that faith with you, that you're part of this body that can share faith with you. And so, yeah, there's some people who kind of wander in and end up in the family, but there's others who are born under these promises. And they're baptized not when they come to faith, but as infants, included in the family. Now, I said that I wanted to prove that there's power in baptism. And that seems like, well, you just killed all the power. Now it's not about you at all. It's just about this thing that you get wrapped up into when you're born and you are a child, doesn't even matter. Uh, and that's how many think about their baptism. That I wasn't even, I didn't even have any idea what was going on. I've seen a picture or two. How could that have any meaning? And that's when we're going to go back to that, that Romans 4.11 verse and talk about sign and seal. Sign and seal. That there's two aspects to baptism to the, uh, to the Lord's Supper as well that we need to understand. All right, the first thing is that this uh, baptism is a sign. It's a sign. All right, you know what a sign is. There's one on the building out front. It's just a sign. All right, it's saying, it's saying that there's this other thing, and I want you to know about it. It's not the thing itself. It's just pointing to something else. Baptism is a sign, and baptism is a seal. Think of an official document. It has a seal on it, proving that it's authentic proving that the things that are said in that are real. Sign and seal. Now, to help us understand this, uh, we are going to go to a story, Jerky Town. Jerky Town, the world's greatest jerky. Yes, all right, all right, so let's see. Uh, so uh, this is, someone asked me if this is a real story. It is a real story. It's, I'm not that creative. Um, all right, so uh, in the Southern California deserts, the desert, I don't know if there's multiple. Uh, it's not the point. All right, there's this, we're uh, driving to go backpacking. And there's this long stretch of road through the middle of the desert. There's nothing to see. There's nothing to do. It is just this long stretch of mirages and tumbleweeds. All right, you're driving along. And then what do you see? Looming in the distance... Jerky Town, the world's greatest jerky 200 miles. And what do you say to yourself as soon as you see that sign? You think, there's no way. Uh, okay, you got some false advertising, and you move on. And then an hour, an hour and a half later, two hours, depending how much you're speeding, um, <laughs> 100 miles, Jerky Town, the world's greatest jerky. And you start to think, well, how many billboards are there? 
They must be able to afford a lot of billboards. Maybe this place is doing really well. All right, and then you get 75 miles. Jerky town, the world's greatest jerky. And you're thinking, well, now, now what you're thinking? You're thinking, you know what? I, I'm getting kind of hungry. <laughs> and 50 miles comes, and you're thinking, you know, I wonder what flavors of jerky they have. <laughs> and then you start hitting 40, 30, and suddenly you've forgotten that you have anywhere else to go but jerky town. <laughs> They're like, oh, we're almost to our destination, everyone. And until you're hitting like 20, and, and now you're counting down, and everyone's ready for the jerky. And then you see this, this shack on the side, which could have easily been overlooked, but what is it, is it now? Because of the sign, you know what it really is. It is Jerky Town, the world's greatest jerky. And if you'd seen it without the signs, you wouldn't have cared. You had driven on by and laughed at maybe that it was the world's greatest jerky, but the sign builds it up and demonstrates what it really is. And it prepares you. All right, that's what baptism is doing. That's what baptism is doing. It's a sign. And it's a sign of the greatness of what Jesus Christ has done. And maybe without the sign, you would miss it. Or you wouldn't have this anticipation. And yet this sign is, is crying out, Jesus Christ is amazing. Don't drive by. That he has cleansed us of our sins. That he has brought us into his community with him that he's going to resurrect us unto life, that he's already given us newness of life, that we've been washed clean by his blood. Those are the signs that, that along the highway, and they're pointing to Jesus and to his work. Now, that's the sign aspect of it. Now the seal. Now the seal. Now, at this point, you have two choices. You can either see that shack and see the, the glorious wonders of it, and you see the children, like, laughing and playing and carrying their jerky and delighting, and, like, wow, there it is. It's, we've reached our destination. Or you can drive by. Now, the first one, if you... If you, because of the sign, go in and you buy a, a double-smoked teriyaki tenderloin maple roasted and you partake of that, that jerky, all right, what happened? That sign helped you become a participant in the world's greatest jerky. Why? Because you, you, you believe the sign and you stepped out and you said, you know what, we're going to stop. I'm going to try it. And what happened? That sign didn't just point you to something. It got you there. And it confirmed you as a participant in the, in the world's greatest jerky family. <laughs> and that you have experienced the greatness of it. Not because of the sign and you saw the sign, but because you saw the sign, you put faith in jerky town as the greatest and you participated. Now, that's the, that's the one side of it that's saying, yeah, it can be sign and seal. That analogy breaks down a little bit. Don't worry about it. Um, it'll get us. <laughs> no, don't, don't ask Calvin to, if this is okay. Um, so, but 
What does this mean then? There's, and I, I can try to say this different ways, but there is real power in the baptism. That we're not just saying it reminds us of something. We're not saying it like it helps us along. And that there's real power that unites us to Christ in it. And that the things that are promised, when we have faith, that, that baptism becomes a seal and makes it real. And applies it to our hearts and stamps us and says, you know what, yes, you have received that. And those promises that are yours, those are yours now in baptism. Now then there's the, the other response. That your dad says, you know what, we don't have time to stop. We need to make our schedule. And he drives right on by. And you're looking back. <laughs> All right. Or you're the one driving and you say, you know what, I, there's no way it's that good. All right. You don't have any faith. There's no faith in Jerky Town. And, and you drive on by, and what does Jerky Town now become? And all those signs, those billboards, uh, they're just disappointment now. And they say, you should have stopped. And, and Jerky Town, they, they know that you'll feel that way. Because then they have board, uh, billboards going the other way that say, like, it was five miles ago, turn around. And, like, you missed it. You're, you were almost there. And... It's reminding you, you you didn't stop, you didn't put your faith, you didn't participate. And that's what baptism becomes for those who receive it, who see the sign, who receive the sign, but don't stop and believe. Becomes this reminder, hey, you had all of these promises, you had the greatness of Christ and forgiveness of sins. You were privileged to see the signs and yet you did nothing with it. That's what we're talking about, that the sign itself can be powerful, but the sticking point is faith that makes it either this seal of greatness that, yes, this is authentic, this has been applied to you, or it's totally fallen flat. Now, Make sure I got everything. I don't want to really milk this Turkey Town analogy because otherwise, uh, this is boring. It's not. All right. All right. Okay. Uh, so, what happens then? Uh, for infant baptism, what's really happening there is not that we're not saying that this person's definitely going to be saved. Our kids are guaranteed. No. What are we saying? We're saying that they get privileged to know this promise from the very beginning. And they have this sign that's pointing to the greatness of Jesus their whole lives. And, and week by week, day by day, they are passing these billboards that are saying, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And that's a special privileged position. Not everyone gets that. Not everyone gets to have the sign and to be reminded And so our children are, are included in these promises in a special way. And when they're baptized, they're reflecting that, that reality. And we pray and we hope that they stop. Now, thankfully, they can stop at any time and believe. They don't, they don't get one chance and drive by, but they are given chances to believe. 
and we plead and we say, believe in Jesus Christ. Don't just receive the sign and nothing, that, no faith to go with it. Now, in this analogy, what is the, the, un, the unbeliever who comes to faith? All right, the unbeliever who comes to faith, uh, they're the ones who are on a dune buggy going over the dunes, and they happen to come in the back way. They never see the signs. They're just hungry, and they come, and they eat of the world's greatest jerky. And then we say, hey, did you realize this is the world's greatest jerky? Look how blessed you are. Now, they didn't have any of the privilege of the signs. They weren't built up, but they were included in this. They eat the jerky, they receive the sign, they are sealed with the promises. Now, just as a matter of clarification, this question came up a lot last sermon. Uh, yes, we baptize infants, but if you have never been baptized, we baptize adults. We baptize everyone who's put their faith in Jesus. You're either, you, if you put your faith in Jesus, you're definitely part of the family, and you need to receive baptism. All right, but why is, why is sign and seal such a big deal? Why is sign and seal such a big deal? All right, first, we have to get the sign right. If the sign is all about me and what I've done, then it, it doesn't point to Jesus as much as it points to our hearts and our faith and our participation. And when that's the sign and that's all it is, it really starts to fall flat. Because then you say, well, I don't know if I believe in Jesus. I don't know if I want to put my faith. I'm, I'm struggling in my faith. And then it's, you're saying, well, baptism is just a sign that you said you wanted to have faith. And you're saying, well, I guess then it's nothing. All right, but if it's not a sign of what you've done, but what Jesus Christ has done, then when you look back at baptism, you say, wait, these are promises, and these are promises that are mine and our communities and all of these people together have put their faith under these promises. The promises aren't about me and my faith. The promises are about what Jesus Christ has done. That he has paid for sins. That he has done the work. And that the one, the one clicking point is not how good I am or my emotions. It's believing in the promises and trusting in them. Now, another way this can go wrong is if sign and seal are blended together and they say, you know what, there's no difference. Just get baptism and you're fine. Now, when you're discouraged and you, you don't know if you're believing and, you're, and they say, well, no, it's just, it's just inherently, you don't need to have faith, then what is it? It's just encouraging apathy and contentment where you are that, well, I guess I don't really need to believe or care about this. But no, when you separate them, you say, you know, there's a great sign. And believe in Jesus. And then all of these things will be yours. It's an encouragement of what Jesus Christ has done. Now, there's this really sad reality that some people feel this need to, to chase after baptisms. Or they look at their baptism and they're saying, you know, I, maybe I didn't believe enough. Maybe it wasn't good enough. I've seen people who have been baptized 
one, two, three, four, five times because, well, my faith wasn't good enough. I needed to believe better. It needed to reflect a better faith. Maybe I didn't really believe. All right, that's where we, we go back to and say, you know, it's not about how good of a baptism and right of a baptism it was. What do we say? It's about the promises that are promised there. Put faith in the one baptism. It's about the, the faith you put in the baptism, not the baptism itself. The faith that you put in Jesus that the, the baptism points to. All right, please don't think you need to be rebaptized. You probably don't. Unless you are in the Mormon or Jehovah's Witness churches, like churches, uh, receive the, the thing for what it is. Great promises that you've included into and receive them by faith. Now, one last, one last point. How is this, this baptism possible? How is it possible? It's because Jesus Christ was baptized. And you're thinking, well, okay, yeah, I remember John the Baptist baptized him. Not that. That's not what I'm talking about. Yes, that happened. Jesus was baptized once. He was baptized again. Uh-oh. Uh, don't get baptized more than once. Only Jesus. Um, and Jesus speaks of a second baptism, a different baptism. Uh, Luke 12, 49 and 50. I came to cast fire on the earth and would that it were already kindled. I have a baptism to be baptized with. And how great is my distress until it is accomplished. When the two brothers, the sons of Zebedee, come and convince their mom to ask Jesus if they can have the right and left seat of, on Jesus' kingdom, uh, what does Jesus say to them? He says, you know, I, I have a baptism to be baptized with. Can you be baptized with that baptism? And what is he talking about? He is talking about the fact that, yeah, we're going to be baptized with water. Jesus was baptized with death and the cross and with judgment and wrath. That was Jesus' baptism. And because Jesus was baptized in those things, we get to be baptized in water. And that's where I remind you, okay, what's sprinkling? Sprinkling with water. What did that cost Jesus? Jesus Christ was the sacrificial lamb who was slaughtered and his blood was spilt so that we could be splattered with forgiveness of sin. We think, oh, it doesn't, it doesn't cost me. It seems such a simple thing. For Jesus, it costs everything. Now we think of the pouring with water, another mode of baptism, pouring. And we say, oh, I'm being washed from our sins. All right, what was Jesus poured upon him? First, all of the sins of his people were poured upon him, and then the wrath of God and judgment of God was poured upon him. All right, we think of, of dunking, a mode that we don't encourage, but... Uh, what is a picture? It, Romans talks about how we are buried with him in death. That yeah, we get to be buried for a second and rise up out of the water and we feel great. Uh, but for Jesus, what did that rep? His death on the cross, his going down to the grave for three days, 
under the wrath of God and his resurrection to new life. That's what we're talking about. And so when we talk about baptism, the first thought shouldn't be, how, how good was mine? Or, you know what, like, what, what's my faith like? No, we're receiving what Jesus Christ has done. We have the privilege to be under these things. And then we ask, am I going to put faith in what these things sign? Am I going to put faith in Jesus Christ so that this baptism can be sealed to me and give you a promise that these promises are not out there in the distance? They are yours because Christ is yours and you are his. Any questions? Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are greater than we are. It would be discouraging if you are a God who worked in every way that we would imagine because, Father, we don't want to be God. We want you to be God. And, Father, we ask that we would receive mysterious things and seek to understand them better. But, Father, we most of all just seek to understand what Jesus Christ has done. Father, we thank you that you don't demand proving ourselves, but you even give us signs that that point us to yourself before we've ever believed, before we ever had any interest in you. And Father, we ask that those who have received the faith, the, the sign and, and known the promises would come to faith in, in Jesus. Father, would they not pass them by, but would they stop and believe in Jesus with us? And Father, for those who are out in the world who do not have that sign, I ask that we would be willing to go out and to proclaim Jesus, that they may be included in this, in this family and have all the privileges of being in your church. Father, we praise you for what Jesus Christ has done. And we ask that we would delight in him. We pray in his name.